Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week on the podcast, we've got Joan Hanscom from BMC here to talk about the BMC Urs LT. You might remember me mentioning this bike back in the In the Dirt episode a couple months back when it first came out, and a quick interview we did down at Sea Otter. If you recall, the Urs has been in market for a few years, but the LT version actually has a front suspension fork on it. So as you can imagine, I was eager to talk about it. Before we jump into the show, I need to thank this week's sponsor, AG1 by Athletic Greens. I'm always happy to shout out our friends at AG1 simply because I've been using the product for many, many years. It started really when I realized post-chemotherapy that I had a suboptimal immune system. I was getting sick easier, and I really just hated taking vitamins and pills every day, and I wanted something that I could drink each morning that would cover my nutritional bases. I discovered Athletic Greens originally through another podcast, so it's poignant that it's coming full circle, and Athletic Greens is now supporting this episode. So what's Athletic Greens all about? It's a green drink. It's got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens packed in there to help you start your day right. It's a special blend of ingredients that support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him $100 a day. He created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimum nutrition routine on your own. Athletic Greens will cost you less than $3 a day and has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and certainly trusted and endorsed by yours truly. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutritional solution, especially heading into cold and flu season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. With that business out of the way, let's dive right into my interview with Joan from BMC. Joan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I've been eager to talk to someone about this BMC Urs LT for a while. It's a bike I've known about prior to the LT model, but something I've always been excited about. So why don't we start off with just a little bit of your background and how you found your way to BMC, and then let's talk about the BMC brand. Yeah, right on. And it's not a terrible thing to talk about bikes on a Friday afternoon, right? Indeed. The most fun topic we can have going into a weekend. Uh, so, hmm. My background, I started racing a long time ago um, and I really, really loved, I started as a multi-sport athlete and was a terrible runner and so found myself racing bikes and loving racing bikes. And at the same time, I was experiencing some, I don't know, career 
stress, we'll call it. I was working for AOL and they merged for AOL Time Warner. And it went from being like this super awesome place to work and and be to sort of stressful and political. And I asked myself, what do I love? I love bike racing. So I reached out to some um, guys in Philly, Dave Chawner and Jerry Casale, and said, gosh, you should hire me to, to work for you. And Dave and Jerry were producing the biggest road events in the country at the time, the Philly Week, San Francisco Grand Prix. And I just threw a Hail Mary and said, you should hire me. And they Lo and behold, they did. And uh, so I've been working in bike racing ever since. So that was probably 2002, a long time ago. So I've been been around bike racing for a good long time. And uh, I would describe myself as an enthusiast uh, bike racer who has more passion than talent. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I've been kicking around the bike industry for a long time. Ran my own business for a while, the U.S. Grand Prix of Cyclocross, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. So I had a really good run with the USGP um, that culminated with the Louisville World Championships in 2013. And after that, I said I needed a little break from bike racing. And I went to work for a German brand called Abus, uh, who makes great bike locks and helmets. And then I started missing bike racing and I went to work for USA Cycling and I was there for three years. And then an opportunity came to become the executive director at the Velodrome in T-Town. So I went there to do some work on the East Coast. I was missing my family at the time and feeling like I should be closer to home. And then uh, suddenly this opportunity to move to Santa Cruz and work for BMC came along. And I've always wanted to live by the ocean. And I actually was a longtime BMC rider myself. So I had to jump at the opportunity to come to work for BMC. And I do not regret one moment of moving to Santa Cruz at all, especially looking at my friends back east and they're moaning and groaning over the terrible weather. So so that's the, the short, quick and dirty of how I came to be in, in bike racing and at BMC. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for that. Thank, <laughs> thank you for putting so much time into putting events on in your career. I think it's, you know, it's something that people don't get enough credit for, but it's so critically important to the sport. So to have such a long journey and for you to name drop some of those great <laughs> events that I was a fan of or attended over the course of the last couple of decades. It's amazing. So kudos to you for that. Oh, why thank you. That I think my event directing career, much like my bike racing career, is is based in sheer stubbornness or for sheer force of will, we'll call it, <laughs> because both are somewhat thankless, my my racing career <laughs> and the event production. Oh, uh, so so thank you for that. That's yeah. Cool. Yes. That makes sense. And yeah, kudos <laughs> to California. I mean, I, should, I, I rode in shorts in a jersey today. This comment is going to make lots of people angry as they listen to this in their colder weather climate homes in this February. Yes. And since I, I spent last February, you know, buried under 30 inches of snow at this time of year, I'm nanny nanny new new. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. It's terrific. So I'm sorry if my friends are jealous. Let's but, talk about yeah. the BMC brand. I'm sure some listeners yeah. are familiar with it, but it's got a long history and I'd love to learn a little bit more about it. So first of all, the thing that people ask me about BMC the most, which I think is amazing and charming, is everybody asks what BMC stands for. And then I tell them and they're just like, oh, duh. So BMC actually stands for Bicycle Manufacturing Company. How can you not love that, right? Like, oh, everybody thinks BMC is this acronym for something else. 
And it's really so beautifully simple. Bicycle, bicycle manufacturing company. And people are like, oh, duh. BMC <laughs> was founded in, in 1994. In 2000, Andy Reese, who um, was the chairman of the Phonak group, and Phonak is a hearing aid group. Andy Reese took over the company uh, along with his, his Phonak cycling team. And thus the high performance, high precision thing that we know came really into being. And it really changed the trajectory when Andy Reese came on board with the company. In 2002, they launched really what is a bike that's still running today, which is, I mean, it's been innovated on and changed, obviously. But the Team Machine launched in 2002, and people are still racing and winning big yeah. bike races on the Team Machine, right? Again, it's been innovative, and it's been iterative, but still, that's a that's a bike that's got quite a legacy at this point. Yeah, I certainly um, remember lusting after the Team Machine. Such just it, a great-looking bike, and the company... You know, as you said, with that Tour de France racing pedigree, it was yeah. definitely positioned as this is a brand that is sparing no expense to make the fastest machines out there. And that really is the the brand ethos. You'll hear, hear us talk a lot about creating speed, and they really hang their hat on precision, Swiss engineering, innovation, and all of it really, really drives towards this notion of creating speed and and producing speed and finding speed and I what a cool identity right I mean and everything they do is about that and what one of the cool pivot points for BMC is that in 2010 they launched what they call their impact lab so I was just over in in Switzerland in Grenchen at the headquarters they they have the the offices across the streets of velodrome where they can obviously take advantage of doing a lot of testing and and speed work but also they have this impact lab which is another building down the street and that's really where the magic happens in terms of the engineering because what the impact lab does without giving away all the secrets it enables innovation to happen at a at a pace that nobody else really is matching right so they're able to have an idea and really get into prototypes immediately. And that that impact lab is is really something that distinguishes BMC and where all of this really cutting edge technology is born. And so it's it's a really cool thing that they launched, but are, it really does enable that pace of innovation to be always high. Are the frames manufactured in Switzerland? No. Okay. And do you no, do you, but, do you know when they introduced the mountain bike lineup for the first time? 2007, they launched the four-stroke, which is another, I mean, obviously an, a hugely innovative bike that still uh, went, won the Olympics in Tokyo, you know? So, so yeah, that's, that was a 2007. And again, it's iterative, right? It's just, it, it's, it's a bike line that keeps evolving. And yeah. Per, personally, I thought it was the coolest thing ever when they got Pauline Ferrand Prevost to be a BMC athlete and, and now Pauline's racing a four-stroke. And I think that's super badass. Yeah. <laughs> so, I feel like it must have been 2008 or 2009 that I got a BMC Team Machine 29er hard. And yeah, what, they... what impressed me at the time is I had come off another hardtail. And at that time, I think BMC was one of the first companies to do a drop stay. And they were mm -hmm. touting with a 27 to seat post, we've built some compliance into the rear end of this bike. And it really did feel like a, a technological leap forward when I got on that bike and it really crystallized for me that this understanding that you can build that type of compliance into a essentially a rigid frame and get these performance benefits that I know we'll get to and talk about with the, with the yeah. Urs model. 
Yep. And, and that's true. And, and, you know, they've, they've been really uh, with the four stroke, I mean, their dropper post is incredibly innovative. I mean, they were, they were, you know, doing geometry adaptations for, for the 29 inch wheel, the 29er, like before anybody else as well. Like they, they really always are pushing this innovation for speed. So, which I think, you know, you'll continue to see as our gravel, as our gravel line evolves and, and, you know, emerges as well. So, yeah. Am I correct that the Urs, the original was the first gravel bike that they introduced or was there another one prior to that? Yeah, that's correct. So the Urs was their first, it was 2019 when they launched the Urs and that was their first gravel bike. They, the, we have a, a bike that's sort of light gravel, maybe call it the Road Machine X, but the Urs was the first really, truly like disruptive gravel bike that, that BMC came out with. And let's talk about some of the design philosophy behind the original Urs, and then we'll get into the LT later because obviously they share the same frame design. So let's talk about the base frame of the Urs, and then we'll get into the LT a little bit later. Yeah. So, so I think it's carbon, obviously, and and I think BMC really looks at you know precision engineering. They they look at geometry, really purpose built for the specific thing, right? So, so. The Urs is was designed from the beginning to to eventually have a suspension fork, right? So they 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 were even though they didn't launch with a suspension fork, they they conceived of this. So the original Urs was launched with a suspension corrected fork and the ability to upgrade it to a Fox thirty two Stepcast AX suspension or or a Rockshox Rudy. So even yeah. in the first iteration, you were able to go to a suspension if you wanted to. It's dropper post compatible. Even even in the first iteration that didn't have that built in or or you know spec'd, they were thinking along those lines. Yeah, that was super uh, interesting. I remember interviewing uh, Chris Mandel from SRAM Rockshocks, and he rides that bike. And I was quizzing yeah. him about how it changed the geometry of it because he acknowledged like if you're putting this on as a aftermarket product, it is definitely going to slacken out your bike. Yeah. But offline, when I was talking to him, he's like. It just didn't have that effect on the Urs. And he did discover after the fact that they had built in this suspension adjusted geometry already. Yeah. Yeah. From the beginning, they knew where they were going to go with that, yeah. which is super cool. And again, that just sort of speaks to the the mindset or the, the, you know, the innovative thinking that goes into the design of all of these bikes. And, and so, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's specced with a SRAM Eagle in the back, SRAM Red in the front, which some people, you know, there's, I guess that's a hotly debated topic, right? About one by versus two by, and yeah. is it a real race bike if it's a one by? And, but, you know, it's, it's specced with 40 millimeter tires up to 45 millimeter clearance. It's 650B compatible. All of this stuff was, was, you know, conceived of in the first iteration. It's got a 70 degree slack head angle, which, which creates a really long front end and, and wheelbase. And that builds in like a lot of stability in the ride. And I can speak to that myself. I think I told you this when we were first chatting. I, I had, I first rode the Urs at Unpaved PA this, this past October. And it was horrible conditions. It was just like horrible, horrible, horrible conditions. It was cold and raining and just people look like mud people. And I had a big stupid grin on my face the whole day from this bike because, you know, there's a lot of descending at, at Unpaved. And it was just so stable in those conditions. Those were just really awful, muddy, slick, downhill, rocky. And, and I was just having fun. 
And so that stability, I just think, you know, really makes it a delight to ride. And that, that rear suspension, the MTT technology and the stays, it's 10, it's 10 millimeters of travel, but what it does is it just sucks all the fatigue out of your ride. Right? Yeah. It just, it makes it so you, you don't feel fatigued. Yeah. When we talk um, so about that rear end technology. So on, on my mountain bike, it was a completely rigid stay just dropped and kind of compliance yep. built in. But in this particular bike, there's actually, is it an elastomer in there? Yeah, it's, and it's, we refer to it as, as, as micro travel technology, right? It's, it's 10 millimeters of, of travel and it, it just has this incredible, I don't know, it makes it, you get less tired. I, I don't know how to, to describe it. It just, it takes, it, 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 it allows for this really great power transfer and, but adds to control and for me it was just like the fatigue eraser and, and it's amazing that the that this micro travel technology it's so minimalist but it makes such a big difference without you know you feeling like you're bouncing along a, on a suspension so it, it it feels good even on on paved yeah uh, i think right you know on- it's so it's so interesting the resistance that the market tends to have towards suspension and i know it's going to go away over time because the performance yeah. benefits are there and you have to, and the listener, the frequent listener is going to know I'm a broken record on this. You have to sort of add the suspension in your bicycle, through your tires, through your body, potentially through right. some compliance in the frame, maybe a suspension fork, maybe a suspension stem, maybe suspension in your seat post. But all these things are going to combine to just helping you become less fatigued or have more yeah. control in super rocky environments. So I think it's super interesting. And I know some riders personally on the original ERS frame who mimic the same things you're saying. It's just, it's just a bike that feels good being out on it all day. Yeah. So it, funny enough, and I know I'm probably jumping the gun because you, you, you had sort of teed up for me, Hey, what are people saying about the ride? And I, and I actually about specifically about the LT and, and I was talking to one of our ambassadors, a rider named Chris Meacham, who's on the East coast. And we talked about the this is front suspension and we can talk about that later but we we started talking about the stays in the in the in the back and he 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 and I share the same coach so so his coach he he rocked up to this 100 plus mile road ride fast you know fast roadie road ride last saturday on the ers and his his coach was like you're an idiot and 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 Chris has a bad back. And so he had the suspension locked out on the front, but he, you know, he still was on, on the errors with the, with the rear suspension. And, and he said he was tired because obviously he's riding on, on, I think he said 42s. So trying to keep up with people on road bikes. Okay. Tired. He said, but he never got the sore back that he normally gets on his road bike. And he said, when he finished, he just felt great. Like he didn't, and, and, and I thought, well, that's a testament, right? If you're riding this on the road for 100 plus miles and you finish feeling awesome, it's a testament to saying that there's something to this this micro travel technology and, and fatigue. So, so yeah, yeah, I, don't yeah know. I think it's I one of those things. I, I just hope that more people get to try these types of solutions before yeah. they malign them, right? Because you, right. you need to be able to just put a leg over it and see, hey, well, it's not really, ta- you know, maybe it's taking away a fraction from my on-road performance, but what is it adding and where do I care to have that additional performance? And when you're talking about gravel, where, where they start at 70 miles and go up to 350, I mean, you know, it's, when you're talking about that, 
that type of distance, fatigue matters. You know, that that's a that's a real performance gain when you when you don't have discomfort or when you're not feeling massively fatigued because yeah. you're not your body is not taking the abuse that maybe it would if you were not having that that benefit of the of the technology, then yeah, it's it definitely it's one of those things where distance is a multiplier of fatigue, right? So Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. You talked about BMC and its very performance-oriented background and history. When it entered the world of gravel with the Urs, where, where was it intending that bike to slot into the to the spectrum of bikes? So I, I think that's such an interesting question. And I honestly don't know if they were geniuses or or not. The name of the bike, Urs, really means unrestricted. And I don't know if they were seeing into the future of the direction that gravel racing was going to take, you know, because it it has gotten more extreme since, you know, the first, oh, we're going to go out and ride some gravel roads with our friends. I, I think the terrain has gotten to be more, more challenging. People are looking for it to be a little bit more epic. I hate that word. But, you know, so I think what gravel racing has become or is evolving into is there's some that's just beautiful, you know, smooth you know, magic carpet ride, gravel roads. And then there's others that are rocky, chunky, single tracky. And so I don't know if they had that evolution in mind when they designed right. the ERs or not, but, but it's certainly a bike that I think has evolved or, or nicely to align with the direction that some gravel racing is taking. But I think that going back to the unrestricted thing, you know, unrestricted says a lot about what this bike is intended to be. It's got it's got mounts, so you can load it up with your bike packing gear. It's got you can you can run a, a dynamo hub, so you could you know really take it as an adventure bike, or you could not and just race it and find that you know that this technology that we've been discussing actually enhances your race a lot. Now there are some people that will argue that in no shape or form can a one by drivetrain be a race bike. I, I personally would answer it depends on the race, you know, and I think there are races where that one buy is probably pretty great, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, not all, not all gravel races are flat, you know, essentially dusty road races. Yeah. And for some of the climbier things, you know, the right terrain, I think that people are pretty stoked to have that, that 52 option in the back. Totally. So, Especially on the Western half of the United States. Yeah. So, so I, I don't think you can dismiss it. It's not a race bike because it's got a one by, but I think it was really designed to be all of the above. It was supposed to be an adventure bike that could take you where you want to go. And it's a bike that you can definitely race if you want to. I know, I know I thought I was racing it when I was out on it. So I know you mentioned this before, but what is this tire size capacity of the bike? It comes spec with forties and it can go up to 45 and then it's 650 B compliant. Okay. So you could you could add 650Bs if you wanted to. Yeah, great, great. So let's shift gears and let's talk about the Urs LT at this point, which was introduced, what is it, the, the very end of 21? Am I getting those dates yeah. right? Yeah. No, wait, I don't even know what year Actually, we're in Actually, a little anymore. bit earlier. You're right, because I, I, met at, I met one of your colleagues at Sea Otter and got a little right. bit of a preview of it. So that was back in October. So it must have been earlier than that. Yeah, I honestly, like the... I, time is so weird now. <laughs> like, wait, what? Well, I don't even know what year we're in right now. The first time we showed it publicly in the U.S. was at that Sea Otter event in 21, okay. though, right? It was 21. Yeah. Right? Now, yep. now I sound like a crazy person. But yeah, that's so it's very it's very new to the market in a lot of places, just getting into shops now. So 
not a ton of people I'm, I'm certain have had the opportunity to ride it yet. And, you know, everybody knows that the bike world is a little bizarre right now in terms of supply chain, but that the bikes are out there now and being delivered, which is super cool. And like I said, we have an ambassador who's out on it now. So, so yeah, they're, they're starting to be out in the wild now. So the big thing we need to point out for the listener is that the Urs LT, unlike its cousin, the Urs, the Urs LT comes with a front suspension fork. That is really the only difference, correct? It's the same. Everything else is the same with the exception of the front suspension. As podcasting as a medium, we don't have the opportunity to hold one up in front of us. Maybe on this video, we could have. But the suspension actually occurs within the head tube. So unlike a RockShock or Fox shock that you may have been familiar with from mountain biking with telescoping legs, you're actually getting the, the travel within the head tube. Yes. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool, right? It's like all up inside. You can't see it really. And and yeah, it's it's integrated into the design. And that's based on a partnership with a company called High Ride. Correct. Yeah. 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 So not not a new idea in the world of bikes. Obviously, Cannondale has their head shock. And uh, prior to that, my old mountain bike memory recalled Action Tech being another brand that had a a fork that was pursuing this strategy. But I have to say as as an implementation, it's it's super elegant. Like you can look at that bike and not necessarily see that it has any suspension in it. Right. Which is pretty tricky. Yeah, you can I mean you can definitely see below the head tube. I and I'm I'm making gestures now with my hands like people can see me. You can definitely see where there is, you know, at the top of the fork. Yeah. It, it would look like there's a suspension, but it doesn't look like you said traditional what you would see on a on a front suspension on a mountain bike. Yeah, and it, I, I think it's just super, like you said, elegant. And how much suspension is the system offering riders? A twenty millimeter. Okay. So so it's it's really pretty minimalist, and it's it is manual, right? So you with the with the it's a turnkey damper on, on top of the stem, right? So you just turn it to turn it on, you turn it back to turn it off and yeah, you, you can control it. Are the riders that are on the product now, and maybe you have this from testing back at the BMC facility, are they tending to use the lockout or have they found that it doesn't actually make like it, it's not a negative thing that there's a little bit of motion in the front when I'm climbing, for example. So I actually talked with, again, the aforementioned Chris Meacham about this because he's really been putting it through its paces. And he, he told me that he absolutely uses it. He, he said, you know, seven, depending on long the ride, like seven, eight, nine times during a ride, he's changing that suspension. So I think we've all done gravel rides where you're on pavement. And when he's on pavement, he, he locks it out. And then, you know, when the, when he's doing a downhill or it's particularly like chunky, he definitely opens it up and he, he finds himself actually, you know, adjusting it with a lot of regularity, which I I think is pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's great that it's there as an option. I'm, I'm curious if you, if you had heard from him whether if he was on an off-road climb with a lot of rocks, whether he would leave it open or it's something he would close up. He said he closes it when he stands up to climb or stands up to ride out of the saddle, but but he leaves it open otherwise, depending okay. on the terrain. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And I think you mentioned this, but just for the listener, it's got a dial on top of, essentially on top of the steerer tube or on top of your stem that you're reaching over yep. and just clicking over to a locked out position. Yeah, Correct. 
How are you able to adjust the product for different weights, body weights? You know, you've, you've just stumped the chump. I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, I think I saw, and I'll try to maybe refer in the show notes, and that you might be able to swap out the springs with inside that, that H-ride, high-ride suspension. Well, I can say that high-ride does have additional suspension offerings that, that you would need to take to a, a dealer to make those changes. So you can change out. I think, I think it would, what it comes standard with would be quote unquote mid stiffness. And if you wanted to change that high ride provides an option for you to do that, that you would take your bike to the dealer and have them make that change. Okay. So gotcha. And is that, is the, is the front end of that bike different to accommodate? Is there any additional sort of size that the high ride suspension needs in the head tube or can you swap things out? I don't even know. I, I mean, swap things out. Like meaning... swap a fork, swap a different fork in to the, the high ride system. Honestly, that I don't know either. I don't know. I think you can change out the fork, but I'm not sure. I would, be, I would definitely be fair, need to I check did, on that. To be fair to the listener, I did promise Joan I wasn't going to drill her on highly technical details. Because yeah. as, as the listener knows, I'm not super technical myself, but these are just things that are popping into my mind as questions. No, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I can absolutely, I seem to recall that you could change it out, but I don't want to swear 100%. Yeah. But I will definitely check for you and, and let you know after the fact, because yeah, don't, no one's ever asked me that one either, yeah. but I haven't really had a chance to talk about it. Cause like I said, it's just shown up. Yeah, there's not, <laughs> not enough of these bikes out there in the world yet. No, and I haven't even gotten to ride it yet. So I'm, I'm like, I love my, my Urza one, but I haven't gotten to ride the LT yet. So that's how rare they are so far. How are you planning on getting the word out in 2020? Well, first first up, we're going to be at Sea Otter, which is cool. So you can come check it out at Sea Otter. And then we're actually doing some very rad things. We're going to be at all the Lifetime Grand Prix events with the bikes. So people can check them out there. Uh, we won't be able to demo them, but we'll be showing them off. So people can come turn the knob and see what the suspension is like. We're going to be at, at a bunch of other events too. One of the ones I'm particularly excited about coming as a surprise to absolutely no one is we're going to be at the, the Girls Gone Gravel Gone Graveling Weekend in Bentonville. So we'll have it there to show off as well. Uh, so we'll be at a bunch of gravel events throughout the season showing it off so people can actually touch it and and see what it's all about and, and you know, just get a general sense of, of how it works. Because I think you said it pretty well. You can't see it on a podcast. So some of this may sound a little weird, but if you're at any of these events that we're at, we encourage you to come over and say hi. Check it out. And then are your European colleagues doing events over in Europe this year as well with the bike? Oh yeah, they sure are. They, they sure are. I think everybody, everybody's pretty stoked on this bike and because we're BMC, we're innovating always. And you never know, there could be, there could be innovation in the space coming again in the, in the future. So stay tuned. What did you get from your, your, your Swiss colleagues about the rise of gravel in Europe? What's the scene looking like over there? If you, if you had any of those conversations? We had some, I think that, you know, they really look at the U.S. as the, as the epicenter of it right now, but, but it's definitely growing in popularity, particularly, I, I believe in Girona and the environs of Girona and certainly in Italy. And it's, it is starting to capture the imagination, obviously with the UCI focus now on, on gravel 
it's starting to capture the interest of the higher level pros in a lot of ways. Uh, that's similar to what we're seeing here. So they see it as an, I think, an emerging race space, which of course, BMC being a high performance brand is very attractive. So my Swiss colleagues are starting to see that this is a viable racing space for BMC to play. And so I, I think they find it quite intriguing. I think what's really nice for, for, for me to hear from BMC as well is, and why it's partially why I'm excited to work for the brand, they see a lot of potential with the women's market for this bike. And I think that's massive. Like I love hearing that, that the brand I work for is profoundly interested in the female market. That's exciting. So, so yeah, so I, I think that's, that's that's where they're at, but they, they get great. it that something cool is happening here. Yeah. I feel like the European scene got set back a year through COVID, whereas there was a couple series and a couple big events that were set to launch in 2020. And obviously they, they didn't get off the ground, but I think I'm imagining right. that this, this summer in Europe, we're going to see a lot of events start to kind of just take that marquee place of like, what's the big one that someone wants to travel to and Right. And I think too, I mean, you're just starting to see in conventional road races, more gravel, right? I mean, that's yeah. certainly controversial for, you know, should, should there be gravel in tours? Ooh. And, you know, you can have, you can have pave, but can you have gravel? And and so that's controversial. And, you know, we have Strata Bianchi now, which is leapt in a short 10 year or 10 plus year history to, to be a classic. And certainly that's got a, a fair bit of gravel in it. And we just had a race in Spain, a road race in Spain that had gravel sectors and sort of like the pre Strata Bianchi, Strata Bianchi. And so, you know, I think it's starting to have more adoption there as well. And people are starting to see the potential in it there. Yeah. So, but ooh, does gravel belong in a tour? We don't know yet. Stay tuned. <laughs> well, this is awesome. I appreciate you coming on and giving an overview yeah. of the brand. I mean, it's, I think it's great that high performance brands are looking at gravel and really putting resources towards thinking about what's the best type of equipment that they can create. And the, the, the space, I think, has room for a lot of different perspectives. So I appreciate BMC bringing something new and innovative to the table. Yeah, I, I think it's super cool. And I think they're not going to stop. So I think as the sport evolves, as the discipline evolves, they'll keep evolving as well. So yeah, for sure. We'll see. Well, we look forward to seeing you down at Sea Otter this year. Yeah, and right I hope, on. I hope you have a great weekend down there in Santa the Cruz. East. Thanks. I'm going to get out of my errors on Sunday and I can't wait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks for the time. Nice scene. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Have a great weekend. So that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Huge thanks to Joan from BMC for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know for me, the idea of suspension and gravel bikes has been something that's provoked a lot of thoughts and interest. I very much appreciate the innovation in the space, and I encourage you to take a look at that bike and others in the category. As always, if you have any feedback for me or the podcast in general, I encourage you to join us over at The Ridership. Simply visit www.theridership.com. It is by far the best place to connect with me, but much more importantly, other gravel athletes from around the world just talking about bikes. If you're interested in supporting the podcast directly, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride or leave us a rating or review or better yet, share it with a friend. Any of these things help me immensely and I truly appreciate it. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. Mm -hmm.